0: Hi everyone, this is Alex Torpy, your town manager here. In this episode of Hanover Happenings, I sit down in Town Hall with Emma Wolf, Dartmouth College's new Vice President of Government and Community Relations. This is a new position at Dartmouth and part of some of the really exciting changes coming from the new president, Sian Bylock. In this episode, I wanted to give some space to introduce Emma to the community. We chat about what the position entails and a bunch about Emma's background in higher education, city government, and organizing. How we approach the challenge on college campuses and in broader communities of how to create spaces where we can all discuss hard subjects constructively with each other. We learn a little bit about what Emma's been hearing so far being here and her quick take on how much she is enjoying the Upper Valley, though we'll have to check in on that, I don't know, uh, mid-January and see if it still feels the same way. Now, I hope that you enjoy this chance to learn a little bit more about Emma, as she'll likely be involved in many avenues and forums with the town, and will likely meet many of you who are listening to this podcast in the coming months and years. We'll also be introducing Sian and other new senior leaders in future episodes, so stay tuned for all of those. Don't forget to subscribe or share this with a friend if you like it. Enjoy! All right, folks, thanks for joining for another Hanover Happenings episode and um, here in Town Hall on a very rainy day um, with Emma Wolf, uh, the new Vice President for Government and Community Relations. So, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for coming by today. Um, Umbrella, raincoat, and (laughs) everything.
1: I got my new Dartmouth uh, jacket and my Dartmouth umbrella. A good good chance to show it off. Exactly. Exactly.
0: Um, So... Uh, Before we jump into a little bit about um, your background, Emma, talk to us a little bit about the VP of Government and Community Relations as a new title at Dartmouth. So tell us a little bit about what that is and how maybe that's a little different than um, how things were set up before.
1: Sure. Um, Well, so first, what it is, I mean, the good thing about having a title like Government Community Relations is it's pretty literal. Um, It's about maximizing the relationships that Dartmouth and Dartmouth's community, and that is not a monolithic thing, there's all kinds of facets of the community and all kinds of assets that Dartmouth has. But how to kind of maximize the relationships that Dartmouth has at um, every level of government and with surrounding communities and local community-based organizations. Um, So that can look like a lot of different things at a lot of different institutions and places. I'm excited because um, I'm I'm joining some folks at Dartmouth who have been focused on government and community relations uh, in the past, but for a lot of them, it's been something that they've done as either a labor of love or as part-time in their portfolios, Mm -hmm. Um, and I am joining one colleague who was focused on local, um, uh, state, federal and even global um, relations out of the provost office and she's joining um, my team so I have a bit of a sense of the history which is that Dartmouth is really incredibly special for the public servants that it produces mm-hmm. and the innovations that you can point to when it comes to public policy it's really stunning um, and I'm not just saying that because they're now my employer I mean. It is an, an impressive list hitting way above its weight proportionately. Um, there are uh, some amazing, there's there's an incredible history of public servants um, who are Dartmouth alums um, and there are some in government today. Um, so the way that Dartmouth has approached sort of government relations um, to date has been this rich mixture of its own community um, as opposed to a large staffed department. Hmm. Um, So I think the exciting thing is to see where we can take it um, with more of a full-time focus out of the administration, um, but it's really about maximizing the assets and relationships that are there um, already.
0: And that sounds like doing that has been a pretty big part of some of your prior jobs as well, both in college and in government itself. So maybe share with us a little bit about some of your background and how that kind of informs um, how you came into this role of Dartmouth.
1: Yeah. I mean, for me, government relations, I, the way I approach it, um, has everything to do with where I started out, which was um, doing community organizing. And organizing is really about listening, understanding people's interests, and helping to move them to action on behalf of themselves in a larger collective. Um, So to be a really effective organizer, you sort of have to subsume yourself and understand what the interests are of the group that you're working with. Mm -hmm. Um, And you have to pay a lot of attention to um, not only what people want and what their complaints are, what their desires are, but also the landscape of what's possible Um, and, and sort of do a literal inventory of who has agency and power over the kinds of issues that you want to impact. Um, so that's, that's how I approached my jobs as an organizer, um, doing community work in New York. Um, I also did a lot of uh, labor organizing and then political organizing where I was working to recruit um, candidates to run for higher office. Very often they were not traditional political candidates. They did not come out of government. They did not come out of political offices necessarily. So it was a very grassroots um, kind of approach Um, But then I was working, uh, so that was my first sort of decade, I would say, or a little bit more than that, 10, 12 years. um, In uh, largely New York, around the state, um, spent a year or two actually in Jersey and Ohio. um, Mm -hmm. But then um, uh, actually for the next eight years, I was working in New York City Hall for then Mayor Bill de Blasio, first as his director of intergovernmental affairs, and then as his chief of staff and eventually as deputy mayor for administration, those were a wide range of jobs and responsibilities over that set of eight years, not the least of which because in the last two plus years, I guess, um, we were assembling an entirely different government to respond to the the pandemic. Mm. Um, But at any rate, I feel like in all parts of those um, jobs and roles, I really always, first and foremost, um, came from the perspective and used the tools that I'd gained, um, as an organizer.
0: Hmm. And you've been here at Dartmouth for about a month. Or? Yeah. I'm
1: in my, f- I last week didn't really count for me. Or I say, I, t- I let myself <laughs> have the hook to say it didn't count. It was only a couple days of work. So, um, cause of the holidays. So I'm in my fourth full week, um, here and I, uh, I moved into my place, which is awesome, in Hanover. Literally, I guess, like the afternoon or the night before um, my day one. So it's been oh, so a, must have been a fun first day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, waking yeah. up around I know boxes. I don't what I was and... thinking. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't give myself any um, any kind of runway. Um, so, so yeah, for the first week or two, definitely head spinning and and trying to just barely even understand where the doors and filing cabinets were i had right. a, i had a nice meal with with you here in town and oh yeah i lose yeah uh, yeah mm-hmm. absolutely and um uh got to know a few other places and did some hiking and stuff like that and started to really love the environment but i have way 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 more to explore
0: right i definitely know that feeling of even though it's like i mean especially coming from such a larger city yeah you But there's still, you're sort of, it's going to be this, you know, many year, decade unpacking even in a small town, but there's so many things in the community and in the area.
1: It's incredible. Um, All of the things to learn just about Hanover, all of the things to learn about the Upper Valley, um, all of the things to learn about all of the schools and centers that are part of Dartmouth. Um, It's a lot. It's really exciting to learn about. Um, And I could spend all day just learning. Unfortunately, you know, you have to actually do a job. So um, I'm at that point uh, that sort of drinking from the fire hose, um, only beginning to scratch the surface of knowing what I don't know, kind of, you know, that moment where I, um, I very badly would like to, to get to know uh, more things so I can feel like I'm uh, moving toward more of a strategy. But mostly right now, it's just meeting people and listening and taking in as much as possible to be able to think about what we're going to do for the government community relations office in the first year.
0: And are there things that have come up? I mean, it sounds like you've had a lot of conversations with folks since you've been here. Are there, are there patterns of things? What are some themes of things that understanding that four weeks in, not the full agenda worked out? what, What are you hearing so far from people?
1: Yeah. Um, well, the thing first that really was interesting to me is the convergence of constituencies, right? So, like Dartmouth faculty are also Hanover right, residents, right. <laughs> and um, the multiple hats that folks wear. Um, that's been really interesting. And just hearing folks' versions of explaining that has been uh, a learning experience, sort of talking about how, quote unquote, the community views Dartmouth and Dartmouth views the community. Those are conversations, usually people want to share their, their viewpoints, and of course, the concept of one Hanover community and one Dartmouth community doesn't exist, it's a whole, right. it's a complicated and complex thing. But that's been interesting to just hear about people's different perspectives. And a lot of the people that I speak with have their own kind of activism in the Upper Valley or with Hanover, so that's just been awesome to learn about. Just, the amount of civic activism and engagement here is something really really special so that just one thing that I was noticing in spades in the first days in terms of substantive issues like housing 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 <laughs> childcare, care right. housing housing right. housing um, those are certainly things that folks have, have identified as needs and I think everybody understands that the affordability crisis and the especially the housing crisis is not something that's uniquely um, challenging to Hanover or challenging to the upper Valley or changing like this is something everywhere that everyone is um, challenged by and um, is you know we're a real pain point yeah Um, those are probably the biggest sort of commonalities that I've heard a lot of excitement around doing more real engagement out of Dartmouth with the community um, whether that's students or faculty or the administration um, that's something that people have identified right away as an opportunity as well.
0: Hmm. Yeah and it seems like I mean part of the opportunity which which I also um, I think I heard from folks early on when I started was this the, the way you frame I mean this sort of very granular multi-stakeholder there's so many I mean you start drilling down the types of faculty or types of students right. I mean, there's so many different you can just keep getting down and yeah, down. yeah yeah yeah, totally and people have you know their own unique experiences and, right um, and try to think about this and I'm sure this has come up a million times in your background and work I mean is thinking about you know we can sometimes over broaden the stakeholder groups right and say you know it's um, you know business owners yes totally or the college right and like there's a thousand groups that may not be on the same page about a lot of stuff or yes. may not have the same experiences yes so how do you I mean a lot of what you're doing it sounds like is important for this job and also a lot of uh, importance in your past work is getting out and listening to people yes how do you do that how do you get how do you get granular with stakeholders um, I feel like that would be like a great title like a book or something They're getting granular with stakeholders like nobody would want to read except for book. the few Our of us of yeah book. there probably is already um but so how, how, you know are, are there kind of tools that you have access to are there things how do you approach that
1: yeah so and i think we had talked about this a little bit when we first met i wanted in my first week or two to be a little bit to go a little bit slower than my normal pace which would be like you know just scheduling 10 15 meetings a day and because I wanted to be able to to learn a little bit more just by being here mm-hmm. and being around, um, before I started sitting down with a lot of stakeholders. Right. So, so but, so I will say that. Um, but basically, what I've done, I enjoy this part of the work so much. Um, and I, you know, the funny thing is, I was thinking about this the other day, actually, like. Um, if you're going into a new neighborhood in a, in any place, like literally like a small set of blocks, um, or if you're going into a new state, like you must understand that you do not know the culture and, right. and that you have to learn it. Right. Um, and there's a respect and humility that comes with that. So I have a lot more people to meet. I'm excited to meet members of the Select Board and other folks who are involved in Hanover. Basically, and I bet a lot of the people who are listening to this I'm probably going to ask for meetings with. <laughs> probably. It's uh, really like the Venn diagrams. <laughs> right. <laughs> Pretty special. Um, <clears throat> you know, I'm, I'm trying to build a, as huge a list as possible and, and plow through and be as intelligent as possible in terms of the kinds of questions that I'm asking because people have such a wealth of knowledge and I really want to get as much as I can out of them in those interactions. So finding out from each individual that I talk to what they do in Hanover or Upper Valley or whatever that case may be Um, uh, finding out what they think about the state of Dartmouth's government and community relations and just asking them for their blunt perspective and if they're in my shoes what they would want their what would they want the priorities to be Um, I try to take that in as much as possible and then every few days sort of step back and look at my notes and say like, okay, these continue to be the trends. These the ideas. Oh, I don't want to forget this good idea, etc. So I try to take stop and sort of literally memorialize, because at a certain point I'm going to want to take a time out and then say, okay, we're going to make a plan here, bounce it off of a lot of stakeholders, of mm-hmm. course, um, but then move forward.
0: And where does um, where does government and community relations uh, fit into the sort of organizational chart of the college?
1: Yeah. So. Um, it's uh, the the VP position as a member of the president's senior leadership team um, which is comprised of mm, other vice presidents, executive vice presidents, senior vice presidents, uh, senior leaders of the administration, um, uh, deans of the schools, um, uh, and the provost, the sort of classic senior cabinet that would report up to the president. Um, the great thing about this president and I've only worked for one president (laughs) I've worked at two institutions and one president of a college and university and that's um, uh, that's Sian Um, she uh, she is I don't think she would say that she is herself a political junkie but she is really really passionate about maximizing institutions um, in terms of change making Hmm. and public policy. And so she's really excited about this kind of work. And um, so I benefit greatly from that because it is something that she takes a keen interest in. Um, so you feel
0: you know, fully supported I in this I feel completely
1: supported by her. Right. I also report up, the other thing to, to note is that I report up to Jomisha um, Stephen, who is her executive vice president and many, many other titles. Um, and she's someone I've gotten to know uh, uh, from my previous work at Barnard as well um, so just to be clear Sian was the president of Barnard I don't know how much you've talked about this particular thing but I think you've mentioned it broadly um, uh, Joe Misha worked with her the entire tenure that she was at Barnard um, and they're both now um, uh, at. well Sian is at Dartmouth um, Joe Misha is on her way so I get to continue working with them
0: And so it sounds like it's sort of interesting. There's a handful of folks that are coming in who are working together at Barnard, already know each other well. Um, I imagine that makes maybe the transition a little easier. Though I know there's a lot of uh, dual, like a lot of people are pretty um, uh, over capacity as far as how much it takes to sort of... Off, you know, spin down from one and start up here, and how has yeah. that been? And
1: I mean, it, that is interesting. Uh, we're each coming at it from like such a different perspective. I mean, CN has an entire, <laughs> uh, an entire institution to think about, and so many different needs and people, and not just the people who are currently part of the community, but you know, we would also consider deeply part of the community alums um, hmm. and future students and future students right. and parents. So she has so. the the ecosystem that she is thinking about is just gigantic so I do think that everybody is sort of having to learn different things in their first few months I mean she I think has met with literally hundreds of um, faculty and community members um, and some of that she was doing before she was officially here Mm -hmm. Um, so I think she's way 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 ahead of the rest of us in terms of understanding um, and thinking about um uh her priorities um I do think like everybody has their own ways of learning a new place and for me um it's both great to know a few people um who I knew from uh Barnard but also I want to like where we also aren't I don't and I don't want to paint the picture and make people feel like there's this sort of blob of New Yorkers who are who are here. Um, Is
0: that the technical term for blob. New Yorkers in a group of blob? blob?
1: I created that term actually in my previous uh, gig in government um, and it was whenever things were becoming too blobby I would use it. So I, hmm. I, it's something that um, I can talk about um, a lot with people who are wanting to talk about bureaucracies. But I do think it's important for us to not be painted with one brush and for right. us to not paint ourselves with one brush because I think that that would be you know, alienating is too strong a word, but I think it's really important that we're here, we're part of this community now, we're each going to take our previous lives and bring everything we can to it, um, but we're going to be able to quickly build relationships and our own dynamics with colleagues too. I, I, I don't know, I, I feel like for me at least, that's, inter- that's important.
0: Right. Yes, yeah, so it's not that you're sort of like... Um you know going to an event or a party with the people you know and you're not just hanging out together right. you're in, you're spreading out yeah and you better people, not right
1: right. right right if you're gonna do the i mean especially for me like right. i mean i probably could get away with that if i had a different job but like that is really i'm doing the opposite of my job if that's what i was <laughs> right. doing <laughs> right makes sense <laughs> yeah
0: what, what are some other like having uh you know been up here for a month now ish What are some other things i mean um that you are feeling professionally personally um being up here Mm -hmm. what are you noticing about hanover the upper valley
1: i'm so there's a few things i don't think i've heard i don't think i've heard to a person folks describe the place that they live as special or the place that they work as special as much as they do at hanover and dartmouth Mm -hmm. for real i mean i mean that is something that is People find this place to be unique and special, and don't want to let that go. And um, you can't help but feel that um, walking around either on campus, around town, etc. Um, so the pride is really something, and it, and it's nice, honestly, when you're a newcomer, it's nice to hear people talk with such pride about the place that they're in. Right. That's been really cool. The outdoor scene is is a little intimidating and very <laughs> exciting. <laughs> Um, I've started doing a few hikes here and there and I mentioned that to a couple of colleagues and then they asked me if I had done and then they named like, you know, these incredible hikes and trails and I was like, no, I don't, I'm not there yet. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited about skiing season. I hope none of my colleagues see, see, see me skiing, but I'm so excited about that. Um, snowshoeing, same deal. I don't want anybody to catch me dead doing it, but I'm really pumped about it. So the outdoor scene awesome. And I'd heard about it but like you really you've you're just starting to take it. I was just starting to take it in and right. I get to go on long walks with my dog who's getting used to the place too. Um, and so that's been really fun. I also live near the a lot of where the athletics take place. So getting to walk around and see the like just I mean incredible fields and getting excited about um watching all the sports like I'm a sports fan so that's been something that I you know I sort of probably intellectually knew that this was going to be a big part of it and obviously athletics are such a big part of Dartmouth but um, I haven't plopped down literally physically or in the middle of it I'm excited about that Um, so those are personally things that um, have been interesting and notable Um, professionally um, I think that the um variation of the constituencies is another thing that I sort of intellectually appreciated but you don't really begin to appreciate until you're here and you had mentioned it too like how someone from Dartmouth Health versus Geisel versus Tuck versus Thayer versus the administration how they all all of these folks who who are employed by Dartmouth think about their roles I mean it's just it's, it's a big rich plate, complex place um so I think I probably knew that that was going to be the case but right. um I've appreciated it a lot. Hmm. Um so yeah, those are the those are the big ones. I am I am fa- I've always been fascinated any political junkie if I think if you if you are are really labeling yourself one um has always been fascinated by New Hampshire politics or has spent time doing hmm. New Hampshire politics. Um basically like you know when I was coming up it was like are you going to Ohio, Wisconsin, or New Hampshire if you were really going to do any kind of campaigning mm. outside of the local place that you were in? So it's just a special place in terms of politics. So that's just, like, fun to watch. It's not like Dartmouth has some sort of political role, but the state um, is a really remarkable place, both in terms of its role in presidential politics, but also its government. is just a fascinating thing. I don't need to tell you that. Mm-hmm. A but, lot of but,
0: unique... Really pieces of
1: really incredible the size
0: of the house,
1: yeah. the executive
0: council. The executive I mean I think council. these things are totally New Hampshire things. They are. Yeah. I
1: think both of those things that you just named yeah. are like globally unique. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: I think I think I've heard it a few times that the the house in New Hampshire is like the third largest yes. legislative body in the world.
1: Yes, some, I've heard like, like top like three or top and, four. Yeah. yeah. Four hundred. I mean it's that's I mean, a lot. I would think that that is that is it's the close. Cap. Right. Yeah. yeah,
0: right, right. <laughs> Yeah, although I suppose actually, well, so actually, technically, the, the if if you took well, because the New England right, the the town meeting forms of government, the town is the legislative body. So, if you wanted to be super technical, oh,
1: that's true.
0: I, I actually had never thought of that before because I've either. heard folks in New in New Hampshire state government say this about the state, but I'm like, well, actually, isn't every town in New Hampshire the registered voters are the legislative bodies? So aren't those the largest? So now I
1: need to yeah. Look well, into that a little you, more. Yes. Also, that'd be just an interesting set of stats to, to, to have, sort of concentric circles, if you started adding it all up.
0: And I also, now I'm sort of curious also now, so what, what is the largest town in, and I think town meeting is unique to New England. I don't think there's other parts of the country, at least regularly, that practice that. But what's the New largest England. population yeah. size town in New England with town meeting? How big is that legislative body?
1: Right. That would be interesting That would to probably know. be the biggest. Right. You're right.
0: You know, the 20,000 or 30,000 people or whatever it is.
1: Right. That's probably getting up close to where you would see a different form. Like, you right. would move out of the town meeting format. I'd be curious about that, too. I, I feel like you and I can both do some Googling after this and compare notes.
0: Yes, and I'll, I'll make a pitch for Hanover Happenings while we are talking in a Hanover Happenings episode, <laughs> which is that in a week or two, I'm starting uh, going out to a few different towns in New Hampshire and Vermont as well to talk to some um like long-serving town moderators about town meeting yeah and just how they've seen things change over the years and what's happening and just trying to understand some of those dynamics and and just get a few different people's perspectives on that so yeah totally send you those no
1: i'll be i'll listen to it you don't have to um (laughs) don't have to pitch you you don't have to pitch me i'm following it on (laughs) spotify and at my apple podcast um (laughs) uh it'll be fascinating to see if people say like, I'll be interested in like what perspectives are on how civic engagement and political discourse has impacted um, the town meeting environment over the years that'll be fascinating
0: to it, it'll be really I think a lot of towns are struggling with changes and with some the and some towns have started to abandon town meeting but I'm not sure that's the right there, there's but it's hard to be nuanced about it and I think a lot of people are seeing negative consequences of things not quite working well but what are the solutions and right and of course new hampshire being a Dillon's rule state not a home rule state right. we can't just decide what to do differently right so the state needs to authorize us to do things and right even down to i mean so, and, you know an interesting learning experience for me was our well the whole of town meeting this year which was my first um other than watching a few of hanover's when i was oh, looking yeah. at the job right i'd never been to one before even. right um and s- pretty eventful town meeting it was it was it, and yeah. this was a busy year this yeah. one yeah. um but it was so interesting because you know some of the feedback that i got from some residents after the meeting was for example why is the budget so late in the meeting and i said well actually I, we tried to put it in a different order and we were told by the state to put it to reorder it in the wow. way that it was wow and they have a pretty specific way that it's supposed to go um and um yeah.
1: that's to set context and theoretically so that people are gaining mm. knowledge or something like that that's
0: a very good question
1: <laughs> why, why on earth would that be the case i well keeping I, people until 11 12 o'clock yeah i mean agenda items
0: yeah i don't know I, don't, yeah. I mean i i'm sure there was some reasoning i mean you have to go in a I, you have to go you know biggest to smallest and your bond items yeah things like that but you know i'm sure you there's so much interesting studying that has been done in the last 10 or 20 years under maybe like the behavioral economics yeah. headline about how very yeah. small changes have huge effects on how people decide things and so right. you know and and you know consumer marketers know this and put you know the whatever bottle of wine they want you to <laughs> buy next to the more expensive one right. and right. how do agenda items in government meetings right. get set Right. Um and I think that we
1: might be a little bit further behind <laughs> than the than winemakers. I would think the so,
0: yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Which which is which is probably not a good thing. Right. In that we're because there's no real sort of def- I mean it they're all decisions. Right. With certain, you know, pros and cons, but we're sort of not really making them. They're sort of made implicitly. Yeah. And so I, and so I'm sort of curious if whether town moderators and town managers who I've talked to People definitely see some changes, and I, I don't want to get yeah. out ahead of those conversations. But I do think, yeah, for people that have you know been doing it for thirty years and they, right. they have seen a lot change, right? And I think thinking about the future, you know, one of the things that New England towns seem to do better than most places, but there are some serious challenges to it, is having conversations about hard things. Yeah, um, not a skill that um, we possess so well at larger levels right, right now um, right and sometimes even hard individually but how on the local level can we do that and i i think that's part of we're not totally astray here mm-hmm. in the conversation because i get the sense that's part of your sort of purview and scope yes in this position as well yes how do we make how do we bring the right people together and that that itself isn't just a sort of that doesn't mean put a thousand people in a room and say okay raise your hand i mean there's right. there's a process to trying to solicit Idea, there's right. some structure or some something.
1: I so I I totally agree. I mean, I mean, first of all, like I'll I'll promote I'll promote Dartmouth here, and and I think this pre-existed obviously, um, President Bylock. But I think that it's something that she really fervently believes in too, which is different perspectives um, coming together does produce the best mm-hmm. sort of experience and outcome, and that is really something that. You see, in a problematic way, both nationally, like it in government, but also in on a lot of campuses. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really difficult for people to have conversations when they have conflicting perspectives and opinions. And I think Dartmouth has a record of bringing in leaders who have different perspectives, and elected officials and policymakers have different perspectives. It remarkably, I mean, the Rockefeller Rockefeller Center alone, when you look at the kinds of discourse and dialogue that they're um, having students engage in and participate in. Um, It's also something that that President Bylock personally is very dedicated to. She calls it brave spaces, and she Mm -hmm, really mm -hmm. thinks that um, we have to continue sort of leaning into that rather than running away from it, which is is something that a lot of folks uh, have a tendency to do um, because of whatever you want to call it, cancel culture or whatever the heck. So anyway, so I do think that Dartmouth, like sort of writ large as an institution, um, does is interested in promoting kind of engagement and discourse in a different way. I also think um, that if we decide, and I think we have decided, that we want to do more communi- quote-unquote community engagement and that means more dialogue between... Um, Dartmouth community members and again I sometimes people are wearing many hats so I don't mean to, to make it sound as if you're an either or because you're not right. but amongst Dartmouth community members and Hanover um, residents and town officials um, we have to be really intentional and smart about what those new kinds of engagements look like early on because that will shape whether people participate in an ongoing way right like if we bring in more students um, because we really want them to have more of a role slash responsibility in some things that are happening um, we need to make that experience um, one that they're going to want to repeat which is really hard to do as a student these days I mean you know that you've talked to students Um, so anyway I think those are all really important things to think about when it does come to sort of the community relations side of of Dartmouth, let alone the government relations
0: part. Well, and I think what we sort of have the opportunity to do here um, in this area and probably in a few others, and I'm thinking sustainability especially, between Hanover, the, the town of Hanover, and yes. we've each been using air quotes a few times. Yes. Oh, yes, use sorry. some of these labels. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but the town, the college, the, yes. I mean, the whole community, right. like – thinking about where we have so many resources at our disposal um in so many different ways especially sort of um I, i don't want i don't know if i want to use the word intellectual resources but but people's ideas people's brains and 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 experiences that are here and um you know we see a lot of communities struggling i mean sustainability being a good example i think the town has done um, I mean really taking a strong step forward yeah and, and it's is pretty an example incredible in, for a lot of small towns yeah. of, of what can be done and I know this is a major priority for the college too yep and that is a huge huge project right um, some of the stuff that's in the works right and, um, and that's really exciting yes and I just feel like between the town and the like we have the opportunity to um, I don't know show people how how well it can go yes and if we can do that on the sort of how to engage the community, especially on things, how to have conversations when not everybody agrees. Right. I mean, it's just so, I just saw another, I mean, this is in no way scientific. In fact, Well, actually, it is scientific, but it's scientific. It's biased, which is <laughs> the t- types of things that get shown to you online. Yes. Um, what articles pop up on a daily basis in whatever platform you're using, I was going to say, they're actually not random at all. Right. Um, but one that just popped up the other day was how data seems to be showing more and more people are moving to states and cities that are more politically uh, um, aligned with their own sort of politics you know what sort of sign they can put on their long or flag that like the people are sorting more and more into those kind of um Mm. selective groups and that really really worries me of course i think it worries a lot of people right um and how do we how do we push the other direction there and make it not just okay, but um, a good thing. A point of thing. pride. Yeah, a point of pride. That, yeah. that we
1: can exist in a democracy with differences. Like right. That's kind of the point. Right. As opposed to being scared that if you express your political opinion, there's going to be some sort of, some form of punishment that you're worried about. Right. Um, yeah, it's a tremendous problem. I, you know, in, for, I, I, don't, I don't want to claim to know more than I do about this place or new hampshire but i do feel like there is an appreciation that folks are going to have different perspectives and that goes for states that have mixed partisan representation um or bipartisan representation rather than sort of monolithic states um it'd be interesting to see where those people i'd be i'd be interested in seeing that data um If they are used to being in a place which is like a one party rule, like literally a locality that's one party rule or not.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Oh, like the from and the to. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, it's a really interesting. And I'm sure uh, I had that on my shelves. Oh, I do. Bowling Alone. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just all that kind of that. that, And there's so much value to being able to connect with like minded individuals. And um, I think for especially there are a lot of marginalized groups where that is so powerful and beneficial to be able to do that, but also how do we then kind of take that, how do we make that comfortable mm-hmm. for the between, gr- like that should be, and maybe that's the origin to some degree of I um, really appreciated Sian's, the, the braver spaces. totally, um, And that that should be a point of pride of, yes, and, and that that's something that even if you disagreed with someone, right. just by virtue of them expressing in an opinion in let's say in a space where that wasn't the majority opinion right just to give them a little kudos for just doing that yes um, and especially if it's able to be constructive and it's not personal and all yes. that kind of stuff yes like that you get a little bit of a thumbs up just for participating yes and especially for participating if um, it's not the easiest thing to do yes and I almost wish we could sort of give each other points for like if we could do that and start the momentum in the conversation say okay well we're all here and even talking about something like housing which can be hard to talk about because we all live places and right. we have investments and diff- i mean it, it's not something that any of us are um objective third parties on right um and how do we have those conversations where uh where we can yeah congratulate people for participating constructively
1: totally i mean i think that I think that what I've, I've this is again based on scant knowledge, but it does seem like there have been exercises that folks in Hanover have gone through that where there is real meaningful consideration of a wider array of interests. Like I might have this interest, but there's a larger piece of the pie here. Does feel like there have been some issues that, and I know they you're ongoing and grappling that that um, folks in Hanover are dealing with that. Well, I don't think they have been in any way sort of degraded to the point where you're seeing them (laughs) play out in other governments. I would also say, I think it's like a, I mean, from my experience, I'm, when I was in city government, very, very, very large press corps, Mm. um, Mm. very intense one, it was probably the, like, the set of years when social media was, um, Uh, newest and in some ways the most influential on how people were acting in government now there's this sort of knee-jerk in the opposite direction which is Twitter is in real life and don't tell me what (laughs) to do and I'm my own you know and so like you have both sides of the spectrum in a pretty short amount of time Mm. Um, the encouraging thing, though, is that it's changed. So it's, it's going to keep changing. They're still changing. <laughs>
0: right. Okay, I like that. It's going
1: to keep changing. And I do think, like, okay, so th- it was over here where, you know, if you had 500 tweets about something, you were literally going to feel like you had the walls were closing in and you had to change a policy if you mm. were a politician. And I'm not speaking for all politicians, right. but that was certainly a trend. Swings the other way. Probably there's, like, a much better middle ground that everybody should strive toward, which is, like, acknowledge that there are differences of opinion right. that are being expressed and maybe listen to them for a second and then decide if you're still sticking to your guns or not. Um, and I don't think that's platonic. I think it's just pretty significant larger trends that everybody is kind of navigating and swimming with.
0: Yeah, it is It is fascinating. I mean, these things, you know, the kinds of changes that we're seeing in the short time frames. I mean, I remember those right, right. social media years as well. I mean, because that was around the time that, I ran for office right. and it was like you know everybody every conference i was going to was all like facebook's gonna fix politics yeah. and we can look at that now and-, and like
1: you won't also that's the only way to engage the citizen <laughs> right that's right, right 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 right
0: and and to some degree i mean so what is it 2023 so we're talking the you know 2010 plus minus a few exactly. years right exactly um where it was like really hitting that peak and you know, and after I won my election, I mean, you know, all these things, I mean, however many articles, oh, the social media, you know, mayor won on social media, and, like, of course, the truth of it was that we won because we knocked on doors. Right. And, like, yeah, social media has certainly helped. Right. But, like, you know, that definitely, you know, created this funny thing, I think, for the next decade in campaigning is, like, you just win if you have a Facebook page. Yes. It's, like, you got to call people and knock on doors. Yes. And, like, that, you know, yes, it takes a long time, and, it t- and it's hard to do. Yes. But, like, that's really changing. That's where you might have a real conversation. Yes. Um... But it was, but it was so, um, it was so optimistic, and there were people I think raising some flags back right. then, but not a lot. Right. There was a ton of momentum, just being like, you know, yeah, there used to be a few network TV channels, and now there's YouTube. Right. And now I think we can look back on that and look at how these things pull people into these rabbit holes of ideologies. Yes. And that the platforms themselves, ultimately, I mean, this is something I've talked about with other town. Manager, I guess a lot of people in sort of around in and around the civic spaces, how to engage people online. You know, there's been a few products and platforms that have come up over the years that are attempting to be virtual town hall kind of things, uh, but none of them have really taken off. And a lot of places default back to something like a Facebook. Mm-hmm. But of course, the business model of that platform. Mm-hmm is more engagement Mm -hmm. and we all know that conflict creates engagement right and so I think what's hard is watching some communities and it's interesting because even as a town I think we could do more on a social media presence from a sort of you know especially uh you know notifications events Mm -hmm. distributing Mm -hmm. information out Mm -hmm. for sure like that's great to push it to as many channels as possible but I've Mm -hmm. seen a lot of towns especially small towns struggle with Trying to have discourse, mm-hmm. you know, on something like that, mm-hmm. and just not being able to. Right. And here, I think in Hanover, we do. I think we are, for a variety of reasons, maybe some known, some unknown, we're able to engage with topics a little bit more tangibly and constructively. Yeah. And it's and it's not really, on those platforms. Right. Which is interesting.
1: I mean, I think it gets. I think when it gets really problematic, and I think this is probably an extension of what you're saying, is when when you, you're in government, either elected or appointed, and you're trying to have tough conversations, and you actually do have tough conversations, and you are engaging with community members, and in the course of that whatever length of a conversation, there's gonna be moments when you're disagreeing or things could be taken out of context or whatever, and the hard part is if there's an interest in gotcha moments that are gonna right. go viral, then you really just completely lose the thread. Right. Um, and thankfully that hasn't happened here. And I think that um, it happens a little bit less in some governments now and uh, in, in conversations now than it did. But maybe that's me just being um, optimistic. I also think there's this trend of like people seeking out the gotcha moments in a really, really problematic and negative way. Um, and those are like really they are not brave spaces they are not safe spaces they are right. just like corrosive and toxic moments where people get to show that they're screaming at someone and then for some reason beat their chest about it um, and
0: where do you think where, like where does that come from
1: i mean i think it was this combination of sort of social media and gotcha ism i don't know if that term exists um and for a while it was news i mean it was like viewed as hard news right i it was. think it's not as much now right and there's good and bad with that too right because that's like partly like because people are being real about it and partly because people are getting a little bit more cynical about it i don't know
0: yeah yeah i definitely i mean i don't have the data or i don't have it in front of me or or not in front of me but anecdotally it seems like a, i mean over the years the number of stories that are about what someone said about what someone else said right and, um, and that I find, I mean, some of the things, even sometimes, you know, it's a tweet within a tweet within an Instagram post within right. a tweet. I can't even follow what order it goes in. Right. And like maybe now, I don't know, maybe I'm like <laughs> losing my, you know, cutting yeah. edge miss or something, Yeah. but yeah. like that is, that's not a... Or <laughs> um, you're
1: just searching for the context <laughs> right. that right. might matter.
0: Right, right. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, yeah. And that, that I find not engaging or compelling is those sort of things right and trying to understand how we don't do that right and especially on the local level where we can have conversations with our community I mean it's not so big I don't know how you scale some of these things right and, you know we had um, you know an episode where we talked with the New Hampshire Secretary of State and Vermont Secretary of State a couple months ago oh yeah yeah and that was sort of pretty interesting right um, and you know, one of the things that we talked about was how much trust people have in elections in New Hampshire, especially. Right. Um, I think a lot of New England states, but New Hampshire is either one of the top or the top where people have the most trust in their uh, elections, and a lot of it is because it's really locally driven right you know we don't have counties at all We're, I mean, we don't have a county board of elections right um you know it's really run by folks at the local level and the local elected officials right um and the you know 90 volunteers right and then you know up to the secretary of state basically right and uh, you know and um but and, and there was a question that came up at one point was how do we scale that and he said well that we don't know but we're yeah. doing it here and it's working well right and so let's keep doing that and I think we have a similar opportunity especially uh you know even town gown I think oversimplifies at the label but we we can do that here yes um I think and you know how do you do that at some larger level I don't know but like Hanover and Dartmouth and our different stakeholders and communities we can have conversations and I think I mean if I don't know I mean I don't mean to quite say it like this but if we can't, right. then there's right. not a lot of...
1: Yeah. Well, that's that should be... I think that's a great way of putting it. Goal one, let's do it as well as humanly possible and in, in, involve as many people as humanly possible. And if it can become a model for other right. places, awesome. Um, and if not, then at least we're doing it here in a way that's really special and honestly does impact not just this community, but all of the folks that it touches um people who come here for four years, people who come here to work here, and then go on to other places. And there's ways to feel um, the impact of it beyond the place. But either way, job one, I agree with you. Um, Let's figure out a way to involve as many people as possible here. But what my very, very small part in that is, I'm excited to explore.
0: Hmm. So it makes part of this makes me think of a question that is going to be totally out of left field here. Okay, um, but it came up. I was listening and uh, to a conversation between a few um, a few people, and I had a and then I had a conversation. that's not helpful context, but basically, what is our moral obligation to people in the future? And so when you were talking before about some of the stakeholders at Dartmouth, that's what initially sort of triggered this thought. And then now thinking about this, especially, I think this is, you know, probably the pinnacle issue that comes to this is about the environment. Right. Um, But, you know, how do, I'm just curious how you think about, and I'm not sure exactly how I think about it, but I think it's a really interesting question and it's a sort of branch of philosophy that I believe at one point didn't really exist Mm -hmm. um, and then began to exist. Um, and it was, you know, thinking about obligations to future generations, mm-hmm. um, and even though I think there are some, there is some of that philosophy embedded, um, in some indigenous communities, mm-hmm. and some of the sort of seventh generation mm-hmm. philosophies, I don't think that we do that that well, mm-hmm. more broadly, mm-hmm. um, and I just, sorry, I, I know it's a really left field no, kind of no. question, but... But how do we think how do you think about that i mean for the college for future students yeah and then how do we do that kind of in the community for people who are going to be you know people that are being born uh to a Hanover family today right. how do we think about what their life is going to be like in you know as they grow up
1: in 10 years i mean it feels to me like one of the principles of dartmouth is to think about the future and the footprint mm. that you're creating for it and i'm not even just saying that as a platitude i mean one part of it is I do think it's a special place for innovation, and I think faculty tend toward that from, from, from observation, yeah. so okay, awesome. But then additionally, like students today, they're grappling with and experiencing consequences of decisions that were, as, as they note very <laughs> eloquently, <laughs> right. that, that were made well before they were born, and, um, and they're bearing the consequences and also thinking about the future in a different way because of that. So I so I, I would say that's just negative, but it's also incredible positive, which is that you have these innovative faculty all over the place at Dartmouth, and you have a student body that is largely future focused because of its own experience. Um, but if you say, okay, well, that's great, but we should be more intentional about how we're thinking about that when we're thinking about what Hanover and Dartmouth are doing on, say, sustainability, going beyond just the classic conversation about what are you doing by 2030, 2040, 2050. Um, but really digging in there, that's just an exciting opportunity um, to me. Because you have the ingredients there in a way that a lot of towns, as you know, don't. Right. Um, I mean, what tremendous assets to have yeah. that kind of energy from both your day job, if like you're these faculty who are thinking about these things. Um, and your perspective as a, a student, grad student, what have you.
0: Right. Yeah. So okay, so here's a follow up left field question, but so how do we in thinking about the future, do you have any concerns? And I don't mean this as a even a Dartmouth or Hanover question, but more broadly, thinking about the future, is there a risk of losing context of history? How do we how do we do all of it?
1: I mean, I think it's so hard to imagine that being a problem for Dartmouth. And I'm saying that right. again with the humility, of only been here for a few weeks, but like the devotion and loyalty to Dartmouth that community members have and that alums have, mm. it would be like, um, that I just feel like that is not the problem that we have to worry right, about, right. thankfully right. here. In some places you absolutely do. I mean, I, 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 in New York, like, the identity of higher ed institutions really far and away different, and from alums far and away different from the experience that mm-hmm. I'm having with alums here. Um, it's just, and 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 I and and when I say in New York, I'm talking about graduates of the institutions there, all of which are awesome, right? But it's just like I think. You'd be hard pressed to find a place that um, sort of leaves people with a sense of um, loyalty to it in the same way Dartmouth does. I, I just, yeah. So that's not the problem. I don't think. Hmm. I say that humbly. <laughs>
0: Interesting. Um,
1: <laughs> like you really have to, you really have to do very hard work to separate to separate Dartmouth from its history and identity. Right. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think it's possible.
0: Yeah, it is, it is very interesting. And I, and I wonder, um, I mean, I've, I feel like I've seen that a little bit as well. I don't, I'm not sure I fully understand it. Right. But just for, for people that are as affiliated with Dartmouth. Uh, and I would say maybe even for Hanover as well, mm-hmm. some of the history in the community um, and, you know, in New England and New Hampshire. I mean, the same in New Jersey. Yeah. You know, I felt like there was a state that has a lot of history. Yeah. Um, and a lot of important things about how we got you know how we're here today yes. happened in these places, right? Um, and that is humbling. But then, of course, you you know travel to Ireland or so, you know somewhere in the U. Yeah. And you see something a thousand. Well. You know we consider something historical 75 years old
1: built 50 years ago <laughs> yeah, yeah can you believe it
0: um and like that's not even a drop in the bucket yeah, you know yeah, in some yeah. other parts of no, the world no that's
1: totally fair they're there walking into <laughs> castles and stuff like right, this i right. get like 300 years nothing right. um yeah, i understand that's it's totally all relative like. i suppose totally right fair. and we're totally still fair. all
0: you know not even the fraction of a blink of anything <laughs> totally in the grand fair. scheme of
1: totally fair
0: life on earth <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's totally fair yeah.
0: All right, so switching gears a little, one of the things that you mentioned um, that I just wanted to ask a little bit about, I think is uh, sort of interesting, is some of the work as far as um, trying to help uh, people run for office, Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's something I've also spent a lot of time on, and I think it's just so important, especially thinking about the dynamics of how, um, and there's actually some uh, Dartmouth faculty I've talked about this with, um, it's just I've met so many faculty members who do such interesting yeah, work, right? Um, and you know, thinking about how um, generations sort of pass off, so to speak, between generations, leadership roles, and how those transitions happen, and mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and I think there are some barriers to people coming into some of these fields, mm-hmm. but also there's people who are trying to bring more people in. And so, what drove you to wanting to get more people in the process and what did that sort of look like? Mm -hmm. And and I don't know if there's any reflections from that or anything you wanted to share, Mm -hmm. but
1: yeah, I mean, it was, it was an amazing uh, recruiting folks to run for office who hadn't necessarily considered it or who were considered real long shots were going up against, um, whatever the establishment or status quo or much, um, bigger um, opposition was or whatever watching them go from thinking about it to running to winning to being in whatever elected office they were in legislative or executive um, incredibly gratifying m- most of the time um, um, I think there were a few things that I learned that were interesting one was that for, and I think honestly, like this is one of the reasons why I've enjoyed some of President Bylock's scholarship and leadership because of how much she talks about building community and the importance of sort of cohorts in learning mm-hmm. and succeeding. Um, my experience in running and working with candidates who are running for office was very similar. If there were a lot of folks who had sort of felt like they were disenfranchised, who didn't look like the incumbent, who didn't look like the establishment, or have those same resources or backgrounds, um, bringing people together so that they felt like they were part of a larger community right. was w- critical in terms of, like, literally. My job was, was sure, get people to run for office. That's great, but they, you know I was also supposed to help them win, which meant they had to stay in the race. The follow, <laughs> right,
0: right. The announcements, the easy part, right, right, right.
1: So, so their grueling experiences, as you know, running for office is a very difficult experience. I couldn't do it myself. Um, It's hard enough to do it for someone else. Mm. Putting your own name on the line is its own unique, vulnerable experience. So, having building communities and literally, in some of the experiences I had, was I built sort of like classes where candidates came together and got to talk to each other and got to hear from other people who had similar experiences, who Mm -hmm. looked like them, Um, whether it was gender disparities or race disparities or whatever the thing was that they were facing. In that, you know. Um, local government, so that was awesome, and not something that you would normally think about when you think about people running for office. Mm. All of the classic thing strategies that you do hear right. about—raising money right. and getting door knocking, doing door knocking, and saying the message until you're sick of hearing yourself—like that all holds true as well. Right. Um, but no, it was incredibly, it was incredibly gratifying on that level. Um, and you also came to appreciate—I certainly came to appreciate that while I do understand and sometimes do agree with the sort of cynical, ah, there's too much money in politics or that's not for me. um, I also came to believe that like, you know, regular folks who weren't necessarily thinking about politics all the time could engage and become more civically active and then could have a real impact as public servants. Um, in a way that I think a lot of people just don't uh, normally expect of their of their politicians, and I got to see that up close because I thought like it was my it was literally my job to understand the arcs of their careers. So that was amazing too. Hmm.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of misperceptions yeah. about it.
1: Right, right. Um, I'm sure you know in spades.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Some of that seems systemically intentional almost, mm-hmm. uh, some of that maybe not, mm-hmm. but a lot of people, there's a lot of demystifying to do mm-hmm. and um, it's amazing watching people go through the process because there's been a handful of folks that I've worked with, um, students or, or uh, people participating in different you know, programs who are like, Absolutely not. I'm not Mm -hmm. running for office. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. what's the purpose of it? Right. You know, they don't get to do anything. Yeah, totally. You know, that kind of stuff. And then we start getting into it. And I mean, it was a learning. I mean, I even came into running for office thinking that there was a lot that could be done. Mm -hmm. And there was still, like, boy, was the the perspective from, you know, before and after about how many things, even just on a local level, that we're involved in and that we have the opportunity. To have an impact on, if we really want to, is like
1: incredible. Yes, I agree. I think there's something special about government in that there is this there there's like there's these funny things to overcome. When you go into especially legislative office, you're basically informed in a million different ways what powers you do not have and what you cannot do on your own. Um, But then you know you spend some time, you lift up the hood. You're either in an elected position or maybe you're in, uh, in uh, uh, an agency somewhere and you would think that you don't have the ability to impact that much change, but there is so much that you can do. And I think I was a, had like just an awesome perspective in the worst of times during the pandemic, but I had this amazing perspective on seeing people do things from their perches in government mm-hmm. that... They really, like, genuinely would not have thought possible. Um, So that was, for me, actually inspiring about public service, Mm. um, even though it was, you know, obviously COVID. Right, right.
0: Interesting. Um, All right, totally switching gears again. You mentioned, very important question, you mentioned you have a dog. I do. (laughs) Can you share a little bit?
1: Yes. His name is Dewey, (laughs) Mm. uh, which is the nickname of one of my favorite Red Sox players growing up, Dwight Evans. Oh. Uh, I thought we were going in like a Dewey Decimal System. No. Okay. People have thought that I'm like a real book nerd. And, <laughs> or that it was after um, the New York politician. But no, uh, I don't right. know why I would do either of those. And I right. didn't. Um, <laughs> um, so anyway, he is a year and a half. He's uh, got um, some Labradoodle and some Australian in him. So a Spaniel and Setter. And he's uh, a ball of energy and fun, and and uh, he has been getting used to um, the travel, and um, he seems to like Ann so far.
0: I would think so. Yeah, I feel like we're a pretty dog-friendly environment. Yes, in the community.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. He's liked the hiking we've done. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't want to speak mm-hmm. for him. Right.
0: Well, <laughs> somebody has but to, I, have I to. guess. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> well, we should have brought him on. Yeah. And, right, <laughs> right. 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 Right um next time yeah next um time. and so it sounds like you've also been doing some uh some biking some cycling yeah. around yeah. here yeah um and i imagine that i mean we were talking about this a little before i get nervous in some places right i don't know the city to here yeah like city areas make me more nervous oh, yes but
1: i, I, I mean i I, in New York City, when I used to ride a bike, and I don't that much anymore, occasionally I'll hop on what's there, a city bike, or sort of rental bike for the public, uh, and I will get off of it after, like, whatever I bike ride I do, and I'll be like, I am truly not doing that again. I'm lucky to be alive. I'm just right. so lucky to be alive thank you, I'm not going to have that experience again. So I haven't had that experience in Hanover, thank God.
0: Well, that's good. I mean, and it's a shame that it feels this way. I mean, because I feel similarly, and even in, you know, I think a lot of cities in the last decade of, put some effort into doing this better i'm i'm speaking
1: uniquely for me i mean people cyclists there's a whole very large community and and if i were if this were a new york podcast i would not say these things right
0: right (laughs) yeah and there and there i mean i would say i guess uh the phrase that i'm not a very confident cyclist like i don't feel that um but there you're not was,
1: taking your hands off the handlebars and. and As a
0: kid, maybe. I mean, yeah, I also don't know why anymore. you do that. I mean, you got to put your hands somewhere. <laughs> like, why no. not just put them on the handlebars, <laughs> right, like there. versus in your pockets? <laughs> it's, I don't know. Um, but I have. I, I I did a bike share in once in, a, in which was in Chicago, but it was at like six a.m. on a Sunday. Oh. And um, so then it was.
1: It there was, was nobody cut.
0: on this I mean, I don't e I think I passed like two cars. <laughs>
1: right. You were like this is the best thing. Yeah, ever. I was like,
0: this is so easy. <laughs> right. Um, and you know, it's something that we're working on in Hanover, I think, trying to make what is um, that has been continually going this direction for a while more and more friendly to bicycles and other forms of transportation. Yeah. That's Scooters, awesome. are you a scooter person I've at never all? No scooter, it. okay.
1: Have you? Yeah, I mean, no.
0: no. But I'm also seeing more of the um, they're not unicycles.
1: Oh, that is a whole not whole other segue. But,
0: but they're the one-wheeled um,
1: Yeah, I know things, what you're talking about. Which I, I feel see like, more and more, but yeah. I don't know if I
0: could do that. No,
1: definitely not. I couldn't. I'm happy enough, like, when I, for, I came here, I came here once before the job started, and I brought, um, a, like, one piece of furniture and my bicycle, which I, I think was, like, the right move to do. I've been really enjoying it. The one
0: piece of furniture and
1: bicycle? Bed and bicycle, that are, bed was key right, those are two right right i've since, to I've, I since to get furnished. To work? I've since furnished right okay. yeah.
0: <laughs> um yeah yeah and i think um yeah more more and more uh it's sort of exciting seeing different ways that people can get around and i mean i i'll people i see people bike in the snow here really i never yeah
1: okay do they put chains on the tires? Um, I I
0: don't know if they do, but I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, yeah or like studded winter bike yeah. tires. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that it seems not. cold because yeah. that wind chill. I mean, it gets me. I also ride a motorcycle sometimes. Oh wow! That I mean, once you get above like twenty or thirty miles an hour, I mean, the wind chill really. I've I've misjudged a few trips. Um, oh yeah, that you seems know, where very you look problematic. At the temperature. Yeah.
1: Also, you can't really do it in the rain, right? Um, it's not. It's
0: not. It's not pleasant.
1: Yeah. Right. Um,
0: I definitely have made a few misjudgments with weather. I mean, right. storms definitely like dangerous. I think right. at that point. Right. You know, a little rain. I mean, the roads are a little slicker, but uh, you know, you can get all the. I mean, I've had a few rain rides. You put all the waterproof stuff on, and ten minutes later, you're soaking wet. Right. I mean, I remember taking a trip to New Jersey to, it's like, uh, I guess it was in like Westchester area, New York. Um, and it was across the GW, and it was in pouring rain. Oh,
1: man. And
0: that was, like, I was no getting looks fun. from people. People gave me a very wide <laughs> berth on the highway. They were like, what is this guy doing? Um, and then I had to stop a few times, and I emptied my boots out, and water poured out. Wow. And, um... Oh but I feel like you've shoes. had these death
1: defying experiences but you're 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 not going to set foot on a scooter. I mean that feels <laughs> that's incongruous. Yeah. Incongruous. Uh
0: there yes, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. At
1: least statistically, yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know how to sort through that, yeah.
1: As I'm <laughs> we like yeah, we're
0: like looking at this uh, motorcycle picture on the wall. Here oh, that's of you. Me out in oh, cool. uh, California which That's is awesome. one of those slight misjudgments of temperature. It's like, "Oh, it's like 40 or 50 degrees. All right, it's not great, but I can do it." But when you're going you know 60 or 70 miles an hour you i mean that's you are you're, you're losing you know double digits of temperature is that right really, pretty bad yeah. yeah but
1: it made for a great photograph that is yeah
0: that, yeah. that was a nice photo yeah. yeah that was a nice trip mm-hmm. um yeah so um only i other thing i'd love to close off on is like anything outside of work what what sort of occupies your mind so we're, when you're not um taking Dewey on hikes mm-hmm. um or riding your bike or wh- wh- what are you thinking about like these days
1: I mean, I, I still am, I still am interested in politics and government, so I, I, I really have been, um, enjoying spending time learning more about, um, New Hampshire. Like, that has been really enjoyable, actually, so I'm, I'm not kidding, I've listened to some books and, and sort of podcasts and stuff like that. Um, I'm a big, big, big podcast junkie. I love them. Um. I listen to a wide range, both fiction and nonfiction. Well, I don't hmm. know, f- fiction and, and the typical. Um, a line is hard to define. Full on fiction. Like, you know, there's some really uh, good um, uh, podcasts out there with some really amazing actors. Hmm. But also, um, yeah, you know, just your typical fun um, kind of documentary style ones. Um, I guess that's really the big stuff. I'm definitely like, yeah, I'm just lately trying to take it all in and. Um, consume as much news as possible. That's that's kind of my deal. Yeah. And the outdoors, hiking, kayaking, all that good stuff.
0: Is there anything that you want people um, that might be listening to this to know about you at this point? I imagine that we'll be talking to you more on the podcast, um, and people will probably be hearing about you and getting to meet you at various points. And but is there anything that at this stage, kind of early on, um, that you wanted to share that we didn't touch on. Uh, n- n-
1: no, I would just say that I really do. It, it's, it's, not, um, it's not a platitude or a talking point. Like I, It is my job to really take in as much as possible over these coming weeks. And um, so I would ask that people please feel free to communicate, reach out, email. Um, there's a community relations email, which is community.relations at dartmouth.edu. There's my email, which is Emma Wolf at Dartmouth. Edu, um, and I'm just interested in learning as much as possible. So I would—that's the only point of information. Um, but otherwise, I'm looking forward to continuing the conversation.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for um, sharing a little bit and talking, and um, I think we've got a lot to work on together. And yeah, absolutely. I'm pretty excited about
1: all of that. Same.
0: And, um, glad you're here.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. All right.
0: Hey everyone, and thanks for checking out this special spotlight episode of Hanover Happenings. If you'd like to find all of the episodes of our Hanover Happenings podcast and prior updates, you can do so at hanoverhappenings.com or on wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like more information about other things happening in town, such as monthly reports, agendas, minutes, events, videos, and more, you can do so at hanovernh.org thanks again for engaging with what's happening in your community.